0: The Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. As we move closer to the NBA playoffs, check out The Low Post with Zach Lowe for all your NBA needs. Follow the show wherever you find your podcasts. ESPN Films' latest documentary, 144, executive produced by Chenea Gumake, takes viewers inside the WNBA's unprecedented 2020 season. Four months after the WNBA postponed its season due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the league set out to play a condensed season entirely in a bubble, where 144 players across 12 teams not only came together to play basketball, but also to dedicate their season to social justice. One forty-four will premiere May thirteenth at nine PM on ESPN, and the film will be available on ESPN Plus immediately after its premiere. Welcome to the Who Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday afternoon. And do 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 This is our third annual, believe it or not, three years. We started with the two thousand and eighteen draft third time we are having our annual redraft and my redraft compadres joining me from los angeles california one of our draft experts uh one of the best guys in the business is mike schmitz hey mike brian thanks for having me man welcome back to redraft year three and your opponent (laughs) i said opponent because this is not friendly (laughs) Uh, we used to be friendly on this podcast, but those days are gone. <laughs> From Seattle, who's an expert on all things, NBA, the machine, Kevin Pelton.
1: If it's a competition, I don't like my chances because I think mm. Mike's board is going to hew a lot closer to a uh, conventional wisdom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Pelton, I actually owe you an apology because when I went back and looked at the last two of these, I gave Schmitz the honorary first pick oh, in wow. both years. Wow. So, when we start here in a second, you are going to have the first pick in this draft. Um, with apologies that you did not get the first pick last year. Um, so much, too much respect was given to Schmitz. Um, that won't happen again. Uh, the respect quotient has been corrected. <laughs> um, so, what we're going to do here is we're going to look back at the 2020 draft, which um, didn't happen that long ago, it feels like, Schmitz. It happened in, was it? Um, what, what day was it in november was i don't even October? know
2: couldn't even tell you yeah <laughs> late but late it november. Was in november late november it was in november yeah it was all a blur
0: and uh you got another one coming up pretty quick here <laughs> it feels like it's all happening pretty fast um so we're gonna we're gonna um start with the 60th pick um okay uh that's uh pelicans uh we traded the bucks go ahead kevin pelton no just kidding Just kidding. We're going to do the lottery and we're going to go back and forth. Belton's going to take the first pick and they're going to redraft the players knowing what we know now. Wouldn't it, wouldn't the world be a lot different if we could uh, all do it this way? Um, But that would make it less fun. So uh, we're going to start with the wolves uh, in just a second, but Spitz, I wanted to ask you, you recently just got back from a scouting trip through Europe. Mm -hmm. Um, And also I believe during uh, just after the draft in, December, I believe you went to Africa. Um, So you've done a lot of travel during this pandemic. Um, What was, just as a quick aside here, just because I'm frankly interested, I know the listeners may not care, but I personally care. um, What was it like to travel through Europe and to go to basketball games in this particular moment in our history?
2: Yeah, there were certainly no shortages of challenges, no shortage of challenges, um, but it was great to be back in the gym, evaluating guys. I was at this like under 19 Serbian league game, watching some 15 year old kid who will probably never play in the NBA. And it was the happiest I had been in quite some time. So I I felt like a kid in a candy store kind of got my identity back, but you know, to get around, uh, it wasn't always easy. Um, You know, I, I spent, I think about 12 hours at the uh, Lithuanian border. So that's, that's maybe a, a story for, for a dinner. But uh, it, it was Oh, I was
0: hoping for the story right now. <laughs> I mean uh, unless it involved like some sort of illegal payoff. No,
2: no legal payoff. No legal payoff. Basically each country had different regulations to to get in and and so for some it's you know you need a PCR test and a letter from your employer and you know a letter from the club you're going to see and, and maybe the agency of, of the player and some of them you know require a letter of clearance all the way up to the minister of sport, and so it was. Uh, you were always on your toes, not exactly sure, um, you know, what they would ask for at, at every stop. Uh, so I, you know, waited patiently at the Lithuanian border until I got that clearance, and then I got it at around midnight, and boom, I, I was in. So please
0: describe <laughs> uh, how you were waiting at the Lithuanian border.
2: Were you in a car, uh, or in a
0: holding cell? <laughs>
2: I was not in a car. I, I wish I was in a car. I, I was in a nice little room um, near all of the employees of the airport. Um, you know, I had my own mm-hmm. little bed that I that I sat at patiently. I had I had Wi-Fi, which was great. Oh. Um, you know, I, if I was hungry, it's just one knock on the door. Hey, would you would you escort me out to? So you were in. You were definitely in a cell. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. It, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the short version. But uh, the people were great. You know, I got that clearance. Eventually, I was able to come in and, and watch a game, do some interviews, check out a few workouts. Um, so each place, like I said, was was different. I mean, I went to Istanbul, which was much easier to get into Serbia, much easier to get into. Um, but ultimately, I was just really grateful that, you know, not only I made it back in one piece, but I was able to see these kids and evaluate them because, I mean, I think they've been hit. Probably the hardest out of anyone from from this pandemic. You know, there's no one at games. Um, most international scouts aren't even traveling. Some not even going to games in their home market. You know, so uh, games are getting canceled left and right. I mean, that was a big challenge as well. You know, you could wake up one day and uh, the player you're going to see has COVID, or, or you could wake up and the game has been canceled because there was a COVID outbreak. So um, it was definitely. Uh, kept me on my toes, and I think some American scouts and executives are now kind of planning their trips over there. I've gotten some texts and some calls of people asking, "Hey, what were the logistics like?" So, um, you know, I was again, I was really grateful. I had a lot of good people looking out for me, um, and in helping me get from point A to point B. So it was it was exciting to say the least.
0: All right. So before we, that's good. I appreciate that. Before we start this redraft um should my wife sometimes tells me that i drone on when i tell stories and we're supposed to be talking about the nba so let's have a vote here and tony our producer can vote as well should i tell the story about the time Stephen a and i were detained at the canadian border should i tell that story or should i just move on to the redraft kevin i'm voting
1: me. yeah i'm voting yes. yeah i would love to hear that
0: okay well even if you voted no tony you're outvoted two to one <laughs> During the during one of the conference the conference finals that the that the Raptors played the Cavs, um, uh, to get between Toronto and Cleveland was a challenge. There was only like one nonstop flight a day, and it was on a propeller plane with like thirty seats, and there wasn't a lot of flights. So ESPN rented us a bus. I s- asked about renting a plane. You know, if it was the NFL, guys, you know, if it was if it was Schefter That's and you know Greenberg. And those guys, uh, we would have had a plane. But okay, we got a bus. So it was a bus that transported us, uh, everybody who was covering these conference finals from Cleveland to Toronto. We get to the Canadian border in Buffalo. We are on the Canadian side. And they did not like what we were doing. And they cleared us out of the bus and took us to lock up while they searched the bus from top to bottom. And Stephen A., I think, had Stephen A. was on the bus with us. And I think Stephen A might have had, like, an interview or a travel plan or a dinner plans or something. And he's pacing back and forth in this uh, cell. And we were in there. You know, it wasn't, like, 12 hours like Schmitz. But we were we were in there for a while. And here's the thing. Like, um, ESPN, like, there's some shows are on our our Canadian partner, um, TSN. But uh, not every show. Um, I don't know if First Take was on there. But in Canada, not everybody... You know, you don't get recognized the same. And these Canadian guys were not, they didn't give a flying bleep about us. Um, And so while they're searching it, you know, Stephen A is starting to get a little antsy. And uh, I knew we were in trouble because they took all of our passports. Mm. And uh, when the guy came out, he called uh, and he didn't say Stephen Smith or Stephen A. Smith. He said, Steve Smith and i was like oh no this guy calls him steve smith we got no chance of getting preferable treatment um but uh luckily no contraband was found if any contraband was found it wasn't serious enough to uh, keep us there and the canadians despite being well behind in the series let the uh, american journalists go through but Stephen a in the um in the uh you know can you imagine you guys can just go wild with some of the stuff that was going on in there all right Redraft time. We'll be interested to see if Tony cuts that story. (laughs) Um, Redraft time. Uh, So we will start with uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves being on the clock um, with Kevin Pelton. As you know, they selected Anthony Edwards in the real draft. Now in our redraft, Mr. Pelton, what say you?
1: As well as Anthony Edwards, his played is exciting. His, his performance has been over the last few months here. And, and the Timberwolves as a whole, all of a sudden looking pretty frisky, where I'm not quite as embarrassed about the bet I made with uh, Tim Bontemps at last year's trade deadline about whether they would have a, a top 10 pick this year that they would potentially send to the Warriors. Still, I think you have to go what with What was the, the bet? Remind me. It was it was dinner on where their draft pick fell. I am not exactly certain the conditions, but I said that it would be outside the top ten. He said it would be in the top ten. Mm. I, so, uh, I don't think you are going to win. I no, I, I obviously have given up on that one. So, uh, if we ever are allowed to do dinners again, I owe, I owe Tim one. But I will
0: say, Bontemps' uh, shoulders are a little back and head is high right now because he predicted when LeBron got hurt that the Lakers would, you know, might be in the play in tournament. So
1: we'll see. I mean is there ever a time when that's not true about hot temps? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but as for LaMelo Ball, I mean, I think he's got to be the pick here based on what we've seen from him as a rookie. We knew from a skill standpoint, his his passing, his playmaking at his size was going to translate to the NBA and make him a valuable player. He was number one on the draft board for both Mike and I going into the draft, even though he ended up getting taken third overall. And then the shooting is we've talked about in this podcast. You know, you've mentioned it was a concern for you, Brian. And I was more optimistic that it would come around eventually, but I didn't anticipated was going to be this quick i i figured he would be a really ineffective player as a rookie before eventually developing into a quality point guard but you know pretty close to day one at least like the first month of the season he's been a valuable player we've seen just in the couple of days since he's been back from the uh the wrist injury the kind of plays that he's making the full court underhand pass that mike highlighted on twitter the other day uh you know it's he's a He's a future star. I mean, I think he's one of the, the brightest prospects in the NBA right now. So again, as well as Edwards has played, and despite the fact that you've got D'Angelo Russell there, you can't worry about that. You'd have to take the best prospect. And right now that's Lomelo.
0: I'm not surprised because a couple of weeks ago when we had you on to talk about your um, future player rankings, y- you, know, you had him pretty high on your list. Right? Yeah, I, think, so- uh,
1: I think Stephen A. had some thoughts on that one.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, that is true. He wasn't sure if it was our ranking or not, but he didn't like it. Um, He was not quite as loud at the Canadian border. Schmitz, um, Jonathan Gavoni was as as vehement as I can remember about the future. uh, How high he was in the future of Lamelo. You were pretty high on Lamelo too. Um, You got you know before you they make your second pick here. I feel like you were pretty vindicated so far on on that selection.
2: Yeah, he's been even better than I anticipated, and I was a huge fan. I thought he was the clear cut. <clears throat> number one pick. But I mean, when you look at guys to average 15, five and five before age 20, I think the only the only other two are Luka and LeBron. And so I kind of second, you know, KP's sentiment here. I think he has as much upside, you know, as any young player in the NBA, not named Luka or Zion, honestly. And because I just think physically he's going to continue to get better, um, you know, finishing around the rim. The skill level is already ridiculous. He just has so many qualities that that you can't teach. So have to feel good about LaMelo if you're Charlotte.
0: So, and as to go back to draft night, um, the, the, the Wolves were very interested in trading out of this pick. Um, they were trying up until they were on the clock from what I have been told to, uh, to get the Warriors interested in moving up. Uh, The Warriors have their uh, draft pick this year and next year, depending on where it falls. I think they wanted it back, quite frankly. And they were saber-rattling, according to the stories, that they were going to take James Wiseman. The Warriors were really locked in on James Wiseman. Uh, I think the the Hornets, who drafted third, really liked James Wiseman. James Wiseman was a big thing here. Um, LaMelo Ball wasn't really ever considered number one, even though he was the top of a lot of guys' draft boards. So, number two where James Wiseman went um, to the Warriors on the
2: clock now, Mike Schmitz. I'm going to take Anthony Edwards. I think you could argue Halliburton maybe a better fit just with the way that, you know, Golden State likes to play. Um, But I thought it was a pretty clear 1-2 in the draft with LaMelo Ball at number one and Anthony Edwards at number two. Um, You know, we've talked, KP and I and, and other colleagues, just about some of the areas Edwards clearly needs to improve. I mean, the efficiency, of course, and, the defensive intensity, but talent-wise, I think this kid can lead the NBA in scoring someday. Like I, I really, really do. Um, just with that body, that explosiveness. I mean, every move he makes is an NBA caliber move that you see from you know all stars. Whether it's the step back going left, um, his hesitation, he's so shifty. And you know, I think Steph and Draymond they could use another guy who could you know create offense from the perimeter. Man, like ever. can you imagine? I mean, I have I have been very
0: loud that I am high on Wiseman's talent. I really think, um, you know, it's hard to find a guy of his size with his skills, and he's just has barely played for a couple of years, and so you know he looked like a a, a fawn out there at times, especially on defense. Um, but when you think about what Lamelo or or Edwards could be mm-hmm. um, on that on that Warriors team, especially you look at I mean, frankly, let's just let's just be honest. Steph has played better without Wiseman out there, and this explosion may have happened anyway, but this explosion happened after Wiseman got hurt. Not that Wiseman was playing 38 minutes a night, but um, <clears throat> it'll be interesting to see how that goes forward. Uh, by the way, Anthony Edwards, already on the NBA's all-interview team. Huh. Um, love the way, love his attitude. Um, you know, you know, as he potentially becomes a star, Um he and uh, Cole Anthony, two tremendous additions. Uh, and also Tyler ha- Tyrese Halliburton, um, another great interview. So great rookie interview class, and the is not too far behind. Um, great interview class. Okay, so third pick, Hornets, Kevin Pelton.
1: Yeah, to me, there's pretty clearly a top three in this draft when you look at Halliburton, Edwards, and Ball. So even though, you know, I don't know if... Halliburton is necessarily the biggest need for the Hornets because they do have Devontae Graham and and Terry Rozier in the backcourt. Even if we take Lamelo Ball off their roster, I I still think you have to take him. And I I have him number two on my board ahead of Edwards. I'm getting my top two because of the way this draft fell. I, I think it's an interesting question because it's easy to see how Edwards can be a star The potential, as Mike mentioned, for him to lead the league in scoring. We know what that player looks like. And one of the challenges with Halliburton is I think it's more difficult to see, you know, kind of a guy with his broad skill set. What does a star version of that look like? And, you know, I've been thinking maybe Drew Holiday, but a little more offensive than Drew Holiday, whereas more of his value is defensive. Those are some of the questions I've been having. And I think that made it difficult for scouts to see how good he was going to be. But, you know, the idea that there was a ceiling on how good he can be offensively. He's already obliterated that. I think he's already better on offense as a pick-and-roll playmaker and a shooter than people expected he might ever get to at this point. And it's really fascinating. If you look at the games he's started where De'Aaron Fox has been out of the lineup, so he's been the starting point guard. If we take out Sunday night's game that he left early with an injury with the Kings already well on their way to that win over the Mavericks, uh, continuing their domination over Dallas this season. In the five starts before that at point guard, Halliburton has averaged 17.6 points, 8.6 assists. And uh, for a rookie point guard, that's pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago, um, and I was joking about how I think that's, that there could be a 30-for-30 um, a 30 30 done on his draft night at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, you know, Mike, I, I heard him as – he he's He has said he thought there was a possibility of him going as high as number two um was there was there a reason that, that that you know of about why you think he dropped all the way to
2: twelve um based on what happened there i think there's uh you know a few different things at play i mean i think you know, his his group probably didn't want him in a couple of spots. Right. You know, you, you try to manage, you know, whether it's the medical or, um, you know, the physical and all that and try to steer your player to the right spot. But, you know, the more people you talk to around the league, I mean, there were a handful of teams that just straight up passed on him. You know, I've heard stories of of some teams in particular saying, "Sorry, like we we prefer Kyra Lewis." You know, nothing against Kyra Lewis; he's an exciting young player. But the, I think it was a mixture of a couple different things at play. One, like trying to make sure he lands in the right spot that you know they were comfortable with, where they feel it would be a great fit. Because I think for Tyrese in particular, that's really important. Um, you know, I think aside, you know, even with Kevin's stats of him being the the sole ball handler in the backcourt, you know, he's always seen as being best with another guy who can create next to him. And I think that fit with Fox has been great. So I think it was partially that. And then a lot of teams just didn't really buy it, you know. I think they wondered, like, does he have that kind of breakdown ability off the bounce? Can he be like your number one uh, shot creator on on a really good team? And you know, when I first saw him as a freshman, I had those questions. Uh, he was this kid who dribbled the ball like five times per game, had this funky shot, but his his efficiency was. Yeah. Off the charts. He gets enough kind of slow and low, but
1: it but he does it. And then yeah, I Yeah, I mean he's already top five in my projections at that point as a freshman.
2: Yeah, and, and and there was a lot of battles in front offices between, you know, the analytics and and kind of your old school style scouts who were Kind of rejected the notion that he would end up being this type of player. And it was, really wasn't until I saw him with the USA U19 team in, in Crete when he was with Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley and Jalen Green and a bunch of studs. And I, it didn't take long to realize, like, oh my God, if you put talent around this kid in the open court and pick and roll, like he's going to be, you know, he could potentially be a star. And that's what we're seeing right now. As we uh, record this podcast, we haven't
0: heard an official injury report on his knee that he suffered on Sunday. Hopefully he's okay. Um, uh, by the way, I looked it up, Pelton. In the, in the game since uh, Fox, uh, Darren Fox, went out with his latest injury, he was averaging 21 points and 9 assists going into Sunday's game. So um, I will say about Halliburton, and I don't disagree with this pick there. He does rank, I believe, if it's not dead last, it's in the bottom three in defensive RPM. Um, uh, and he's not exactly getting a good um, <clears throat> example being set by the rest of the Kings who are the worst defense in NBA history <laughs> by, uh, by by the measure. So he does need to improve on that end. Uh, okay. So that's the, uh, that's, I mean, that figures he was the biggest mover. Um, he had gone 12th to the Kings moves up to third in our redraft. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Dot com. sign up today claim based on total games carried on sports networks sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package the chicago bulls went fourth in the draft um schmitz uh they took patrick williams which was a which was you know he was rising on draft boards at the time um this was still a surprise. The Bulls have done a very good job of keeping information from getting out. Nobody was really sure what they were going to do, if I remember correctly. And uh, people thought that Halliburton might actually go here at number four. Um, so in this redraft, where are you at?
2: Yeah, I'm going to stick with Patrick Williams, to be honest. And, you know, this is probably the the part of the draft where Kevin and I, you know, start to disagree a little bit just because, you know, I lead lean more on kind of my pre-draft evaluations and, and so much of that is just because the nature of my job, right? I'm watching these kids since they're 15, 16, 17, and that's kind of the bulk of my data. Um, but with Patrick, at, you know, at the time, I probably would have said, you know, I would have taken Denny Avdia. Um, you know maybe a, a couple other guys I would have taken as well um, you know but I really like how he projects long term I mean when you look at you know six eight, two hundred twenty five 225 pounds 230 that type of length and the fact that he's shooting you know 38 percent from three so far I mean that was one of the bigger questions 39, I mean, yeah we, yeah it was it was is yeah. this guy going to be able to shoot it well enough it's a little bit slow um, but I mean I think he's like 62 uh percent on on corner threes you know when you talk about um just his ability to space the floor from there and then handle the ball he shoots a lot of mid-range jumpers but I kind of like how they're letting him develop like own those mid-range spots make corner threes and then give us effort you know defensively I, I'm not sure he's been the defender everyone hoped right away um you know he can improve in in a handful of areas but when you look at those big wings whether it's a Jalen Brown or a, or a Kawhi or anywhere down the spectrum, they're obviously hard to find. And, um, you know, one one last point on him, he's younger than Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes. Um, So just to kind of speak to the fact that he's just kind of scratching the surface right now. And I think there's a lot to like about him long-term.
0: All right. Well, um, yeah, I mean uh, I, I have, you know, rookies, especially rookies who play the perimeter, Historically, tend to struggle shooting the ball. Um, all the all of the things that uh, happen in the NBA, the speed of the game, it tends to show up in their shooting. The fact that he is shooting through forty eight percent overall and thirty nine percent on threes, at least to this point, does bode well. Plus, he's got a lot of experience. He's he's started sixty three games to this point. And uh, played a lot of minutes, even though the Bulls have been disappointing in the second half. Okay, uh, Pelton, you are up next with the uh, fifth pick, which uh, was the Cavs. Uh, They drafted Isaac Okoro on draft night. Uh, You are up now.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to go with Isaac Okoro, who you know has, similar to Williams, been in a pretty small role offensively this season. I think also probably has not made you know as much defensive impact right away as you would have hoped uh, in a challenging situation to do that in Cleveland without a lot of great defensive talent a lot around him. But you know, I I think his. His uh, upside is maybe a little lower than I think we hoped going into the draft, based on the fact that he's been playing such a small role on offense. Now, Mike may disagree with me on that, but the guy I'm going to go with here is the a more polished player who has been effective from day one and looks like he's going to be a quality role player in the league for you know probably a decade if not more. And that's Sadiq Bay, out of Villanova, who actually went 19th in this draft to Detroit, but Big Moe you know, has. Yeah, big move. He has enough size. He's played both wing spots at 6-7, you know, strong physical 6-7, shooting 38% from 3 and on huge volume, over 6 attempts per game. I mean, I think he's got a very good chance at making the All-Rookie First Team based on his performance. Again, a little older at 20, you know, just turned 22, but I I think he's just a rock-solid role player that is going to help you for a long period of time.
0: Yeah, the the Pistons got dragged for a lot of their uh, their moves in the offseason. They made a lot of them, a lot of different maneuvers. Um they made two that look pretty good. The signing of Jeremy Grant, he looks pretty that looks like a pretty good signing. And this move which um, they moved around a lot of draft picks, but um uh, ended up uh doing a three-way trade here with uh, Brooklyn and uh, and the Clippers ended up getting Brooklyn's pick. Um With 19 and and made this move. The guy they drafted with their lottery pick, Killian Hayes, I'll be interested to see if we even call his name. Uh, But.
1: uh, Well, we will definitely have another Piston going here before (laughs) too long.
0: Okay. All right. Um, Okay. So, number six, uh, the Hawks. On draft night, drafted Oneka Okongwu, who I really liked. I mean, I do like literally one one thousandth of what you guys do. I don't watch much college basketball, but when I researched um, guys, I really liked him. Uh, I knew that he had a foot issue. The foot injury was known by some teams, um, even though it wasn't really super public. Uh, and the foot, in, the foot issue ended up keeping him out a bunch of this season. Um, so that was the Hawks. Uh, but Schmitz, uh, what say you with the number six pick?
2: Yeah, I'm drafting Danny Avdia. Uh, you know, he had an up and down rookie season to to say the least. And then, you know, had had the injury. But I was really bullish on his long-term potential, um, you know, leading up to draft night, on draft night. I, I thought he, you know, had a chance to be the steal of the draft, you know, going nine to to Washington. And, you know, he's someone I've been following since he was 15, 16 years old. So I've been able to see him kind of in different roles, you know, throughout his career internationally and see him playing with the ball in his hand and and being a little bit more of a, a playmaker. And so I think there was an adjustment for him, you know, this year so far playing alongside You know, Russell Westbrook and and Bradley Beal, and and even a guy like Rui, guys who are, you know, really good scorers with the ball in their hands. Uh, And so he was kind of in this off ball, stand in the corner, be a cutter, be an offensive rebounder type of role. And, you know, that's usually what it's like for guys drafted outside the top three or five as rookies in the NBA. Um, But I think we were starting to see him adjust a little bit. And I really like his versatility. You know, when you talk about a guy who's 6'9, 6'10, who's improved as a shooter. Uh, can handle the ball a little bit, can push and transition. I think he has some potential defensively. So if you put him, you know, alongside Trey Young, Clint Capella in that that group, um, you know, I think he gives them kind of a versatile piece, you know, that they could really use.
0: So Avdia moves from nine to six in the redraft. Pelton, uh, why do you feel about that?
1: I, I would have them a little lower. It's kind of similar to Williams and Okoro. There's this group of rookie wings who have played a lot, but haven't necessarily had the ball in their hands a lot. So there's still some question marks about what they're going to be. Atlanta was a team I struggled with as I was prepping for this redraft, since I didn't know which set of teams I was going to have. You know, they. Oh,
0: I'm sorry, I didn't, alert, I didn't alert you. No, that's
1: fine. I mean, it's good to go through the process with everybody because you know, we looked at their need coming into the draft is on the wing, but with the addition of Bogdan Bogdanovich, and with the development of DeAndre Hunter, that no longer looks like as big of a need for them. I mean, you definitely can always benefit from having more guys there, but you've got Herter, you've got Cam Reddish. There's a lot of options. So I might have gone for a center at this spot, looked at that Wiseman, Okongwu Isaiah Stewart group, but uh, this was was a tough spot for me to figure out exactly which direction to go. Well, you
0: are up now with the Pistons at seven. As I mentioned, they took Hayes, who's been... By injury for most of the year, Um, uh, we talked about Sadiq Bey. Uh, You mentioned another Piston. You just mentioned Isaiah Stewart, who all the Pistons also drafted. Um, Where do the Pistons go here at number seven in your draft?
1: I I would give those guys some consideration, but uh, I I think the player is another big mover in this draft, and that's Emmanuel Quickly, who is someone who – I, I wasn't particularly high on coming out of Kentucky, and there was a lot of discussion last fall during the bubble with Taylor Hero playing as well as he was, and Jamal Murray and and Devin Booker in the the eight seeding games prior to the playoffs about these Kentucky guards that tend to come into the league and perform better than you would have realized based on their college production because of the fact that they're put more in a box at Kentucky and don't necessarily have the spacing around them. And so all of that talk kind of centered on Tyrese Maxey. Who has had some good moments this season as a rookie for the Sixers, but I don't know if he's going to go in this redraft of the lottery. And instead, it seems like the guy who's actually benefited is quickly who has been incredibly dynamic for the Knicks as a rookie. And you know, I wrote about this when we did our our rookie potential rankings on ESPN Plus uh, last week or a week, a couple of weeks ago. I, I think a lesson I am taking this season is with the success of Quickly, with the success of Terry Rogier, if you get a guy who is super quick and can shoot, even if there are some questions maybe about his decision-making as a ball handler, they're going to figure it out in the NBA because those two skills in combination are so valuable.
0: So, um, you know, oftentimes at trade deadlines or in the offseason, whenever we see trades, um, executives throw this around all the time, and it's not necessarily a an ironclad thing, but they talk about, oh, they were offering a bad first or a a low first and talking, you know, a a sort of a pick in the 20s. Uh, You know, the success rate of picks in the 20s isn't that great. Um, And sometimes when you see teams trade picks that are top 20 protected, they'll refer to those as bad firsts or whatever. And I understand that, but um, this is an example of why every pick matters. Um you know this 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 was you know the Knicks moved around they actually moved back to 25 um to get this pick but uh this is essentially the pick that uh, the one of the returns from the Porzingis trade this uh, essentially came from the fruit of the Porzingis trade of the of the Mavericks pick and we just mentioned you know the um the uh, the the Pistons didn't exactly slam the ball out of their park with their lottery pick but did very well outside the lottery in the draft. The Knicks, I think, we'll find out here, didn't exactly, at least to this point, slam the uh, ball out of the park with their lottery pick. But um, because that extra draft pick and good scouting and a good pick in the twenties with quickly, who went twenty fifth originally, um, it changes. It changes. You know, all of these things matter in the end. And you know, quickly isn't a franchise changing player, but um, he's a nice piece to have and a piece to go forward on um, out of Kentucky. And of course they, they, uh, you know, they, they hired one of, uh, the assistant coaches at Kentucky, uh, to be their assistant coach, which probably affected, uh, them taking this, uh, this, on this pick. Okay. So I just mentioned the Knicks, um, Schmitz, uh, they drafted eight, they drafted Obi Toppin. Uh, let's see where you go here with the eighth pick.
2: Yeah, I'm going to go with Isaac Okoro. You know, like I said before, I kind of lean pretty heavily on my my pre-draft rankings. And this is a kid I've I've been really, really high on, um, you know, all the way back to uh, his hoop summit days when he came in as just kind of a a defender. I don't know. You remember that that dunk he had in one of those practices, Kevin, Were you were you there in Portland?
1: I probably was, but I've forgotten. I think it, it was
2: <laughs> uh, our, our good friend, Kyler Kelly, he put on a poster, maybe um, your, uh, your guy up in uh, playing in Oregon State. But um, yeah, I love his tenacity, uh, you know, the defensive versatility that, that he brought at Auburn. Um, he's been a winner pretty much at, at every level. And, you know, when you look at the way Tibbs likes to coach, um, defensive oriented guy, Uh, When you talk about R.J. Barrett and and Julius Randle and guys who are you know good with the ball in their hands, I think Okoro is someone who could slide in and kind of do all those little things. And the comp for him, you know, we always knew he wasn't going to be like a box score guy early on in his career. He never really was that. He was more a guy coaches love because of his toughness. He's extremely durable. I mean, right now, you know, he's one of only, I think, five or six guys playing 30 minutes or more you know, at age 20. Um, I think R.J. Barrett's won Zion, Anthony Edwards, and, and a few others on on losing teams. But, um, you know, I'm going to bet on him continuing to improve. He's someone that, you know, teams loved his work ethic, his focus. He always made a jump in a different area of his game each year. And so um, not to say he's going to be the next Jimmy Butler. Obviously, that that was a really, really rare um, you know, kind of development story for for Jimmy. Um, but when you look at his rookie year, I mean, he shot 18% from three. So I think, you know, Okoro is going to continue to improve. And I think uh, Tibbs would would really like a guy with that mentality.
0: Yeah, Okoro obviously is showing really good competitive juices at times this year. Um, his shooting has been poor, 28% on three. Um, his challenge with Cleveland is that, you know, they've really ended up needing him to be a small forward. And he's just struggled to defend small forwards at times because he is—he's listed at six five. They were, you know, their situation with their perimeter got a little compounded when uh, Kevin Porter Jr. ended up washing out there, which is a whole other story for a whole other day. Um, and it made it even more important that a Acorn play minutes at, at, at a small forward, even though you know Porter was pushing it. He's six four, so um, you know the Cavs have two small guards as their primary sort of core of their young team in in Garland and uh, Colin Sexton, which really means you need some size at that third perimeter position. And Coro Cor- isn't a perfect fit for that. So um, his upside may be affected by who he ends up playing uh, alongside, but uh, we'll see. Um, the Cavs should get another high pick this year. And if they draft on their perimeter player, there could be Uh, A move in the offing that could change his situation would be my uh, forecast there. Okay, um, ninth uh, Pelton, Avdia, Denny Avdia went ninth um, to them, uh, unfortunately out for the season with uh, an injury. But uh, where would you have the Wizards go in our redraft?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple of directions they could go. There was a lot of talk on draft night that they were excited about Onyeka Okungwu if he had made it down there. And center, even with Daniel Gafford's emergence for them the last few weeks here, I think potentially a long-term need, uh, you know, a, another rim protector. So Isaiah Stewart would be of consideration here, James Wiseman in consideration. But oh, Wiseman hasn't he, gone he,
0: yet. My God.
1: He, he, he Guys. Is not, no, been, his name hasn't been mentioned in Guys. a <laughs> All right, go ahead. But I'm instead heading back to the wing as they actually went and taking Devin Vassell, who went two picks later to the Spurs. I think you look at him and say, well, he's averaging five points per game. Like, you know, has he actually done anything as a rookie? But he's playing sparing minutes on a team that was really deep on the wing, hitting 37.5% of his threes. And they've actually trusted him to start now the last three games since Derek White went presumably out for the season with an ankle sprain. So that's, that's a lot of faith from Greg Popovich, given the number of options he has there. And I think he's right on track to be that next to Danny Green is a three and D wing player in, in San Antonio.
0: Well, he's been up and down this year. Um, he, I believe he had, I think he, he was one of the guys who had COVID. He had to battle COVID. I, I think I'm right. If I'm wrong, I, I apologize. I am pretty sure he did though. Um, and, um, uh, you know, there've been times, <laughs> it was just a few weeks ago, Popovich didn't play him. And the the, the media in San Antonio said, Hey, you didn't play your uh, lottery pick rookie. You know this is their second lottery pick in uh, twenty years or whatever, twenty five years, whatever it is. And uh, he was like, "Yeah, we played a bunch of guys, and he wasn't one of them." <laughs> that was Popovich's uh, analysis. Um, I talked to a couple of uh, executives and scouts about him. And they just said, "Look, sometimes in with Popovich, it takes two years." So, um, but um, Schmitz, do you do you like Vassell? I mean, he's getting a chance now as as Pelton said, and we'll get postseason reps, I would assume.
2: Yeah, I, I like him. Um, you know, I clearly like some of those other kind of wing three and D style guys, um, you know, with just taking a and, and Avdia and, and Patrick Williams ahead of him. But, you know, I think once he continues to fill out physically, I always saw him as you know, maybe could be in that Mikhail Bridges mold of like, you know, you're, you're chasing around point guards and, and making open threes, maybe not doing a ton off the dribble or, or creating all that much. But I always saw that as kind of, you know, his best case. Um, you know, I wasn't sure his, his shot was going to translate this quickly the way it has. Um, you know, he always had that kind of cocked back release. So you wondered how that translates to the NBA line. But, you know, I do like him long term and clearly fills, you know, a position of need in the NBA.
0: All right. Well, he jumps up two spots in our redraft. Spurs took him 11th, now 10th. Sons have uh, been terrific with their moves the last couple of years. This one, not so sure about, they took Jalen Smith here. Um, Schmitz, you have the 10th pick.
2: Yeah. I'm going to go with Isaiah Stewart here at at 10. Obviously they have, you know, DeAndre Ayton and, um, but I'm really going best player available and Isaiah Stewart, has been unbelievable this year when you look at just the motor you know that he plays with and we could talk about you know James Wiseman being maybe the most tantalizing talent or a Kong Wu um, and you know I'm sure we'll get into Wiseman uh, but I just love the tenacity that Stewart plays with I mean he's a bull in a china shop on the offensive glass he's uh, incredibly physical he's you know Zach wrote about it. I, I believe last week um you know he's been better stepping out and, and switching ball screens as well. you know he's shown that he's probably going to be able to shoot threes um so when I look at uh, you know he's kind of leapfrogged a uh, Kongwu who I had ahead of him pre-draft and Wiseman who I had ahead of him pre-draft. Um, we we had him ranked, I believe, in the top ten at one point before his freshman season at Washington, where they really struggled. You know, as a team, and a, a big reason for that is because every time he played against James Wiseman he frankly kicked his ass you know like just he he was more physical um i mean he was better defensively he was just had a higher motor and, and that's clearly um you know led to a lot of success early in his nba career and i think he would be an awesome backup center you know for a team like phoenix hoping to make a deep run
0: that's fair um great nickname too great nickname Beef's <laughs> it's just a great nickname um yeah he's definitely uh shot up the boards he's a little undersized but you know in the nba you know you can play center eight these days if you can move around and he certainly can as um as we're seeing okay so um so guys i would have uh if i if this was a real draft you would have i would have been calling to trade some of these picks to get wiseman but okay for the ones who get it done, Ranger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com, or just stop by. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Uh, Spurs um, drafted Vassell on draft night at the 11th pick. Pelton, you're up at number 11.
1: Yeah, I didn't expect I was going to be the the one to take James Wiseman in this mock draft, but I think at some point you get to the position where the upside outweighs you know, the the more sure things that are elsewhere out there. I mean, it's been a disappointing rookie season for Wiseman. You knew that he was likely to struggle to get up to speed in terms of how little high-level basketball he'd played and and how little in the past year and a half. I, I think the fact that he's probably has perhaps not been as physically dominant as, say, DeAndre Ayton was a couple years ago is a little bit of a concern for me. You know, they're similarly effective around the rim, but Wiseman has more of a tendency, I think, to you know, prefer the, the face up jumper, the fact that he knocked down a couple threes in the season opener and in, in Brooklyn maybe kind of worked to his detriment long term in terms of convincing him that should be a big part of his game. But, you know, if you get outside the top 10 and you're putting him in that San Antonio development system for a team that does have Jakob Pertle as a young option in the middle, but, you know, probably has more need for a, a front court player than they do on the wing with a number of guys there and, and on the perimeter. I, I think that at this point, it's a reasonable uh, gamble to take.
0: There were executives who've been in the league a long time. I'm not saying that they were great you know at their at that part of their job, but there are some executives that I know that ranked Wiseman number one in this draft um, and I know that the league is in a different place than it was before and come to think of it those guys who um, who told me that they had him up in the draft are older guys, but um um uh, we won't do a re-redraft, but I'll be interested to see where he is a year from now, especially because the Warriors are going to potentially be such a different-looking team with potentially two high draft picks um, coming up. But um, uh, I'll buy on I'll buy on James Wiseman's future. I could end up being wrong on this one. Obviously, I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again. All right, twelfth, the Kings um, jumped all over Tyrese Halliburton. Um, Stories came out that night that he had tried to force his, tried to maneuver his way to the Kings on draft night. Again, this would be part of the thirty for thirty. I just, I've never heard of anybody try and maneuver their way to the Kings, but um, that was allegedly the story. He's worked out great there. Unfortunately, in our draft, uh, Schmitz, uh, he's long gone. He's already gotten his, um, his. He's shaken the commissioner's hand. he didn't actually do that, you know. And virtually, he's already done his interview with Malika Andrews. He's he's done his his teleconference with the um the local media, and he's off into the to his basement to celebrate uh, in the virtual draft. So now with the, with the Kings, what do you
2: do here? I'm going to take Onyeka Kongwu. Uh, he's the guy that you know I thought was the best big in the draft uh, prior to to draft night, and you know has had his struggles this year. I think some of that is is injury related, just, you know, not having a full off season as well. Um, but, you know, he's looked a little bit undersized on, on the court. And I think, you know, he probably hasn't been as impactful defensively as I had hoped. But, you know, I love his defensive instincts. I love his ability to step out on the perimeter and switch ball screens. I mean, he has great hands. He has great touch. And oftentimes just from from doing this, you know, for years, these guys who don't have that elite physical profile like it takes them a couple years in the nba to kind of figure things out whereas you know james wiseman like he's so physically gifted and you know the way he runs and jumps and moves, and w- with that length, he came out of the gates like, oh my god, this guy looks like a hall of famer, right? And then generally, the league figures you out, and they start to adjust a little bit. And I think that's kind of you know what we saw w- w- with him. Whereas a Kongwu, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a slow burn. You know, taking him some time to just figure out the level of physicality in the NBA. Okay, the size. How do I finish around a guy like Rudy Gobert? How do I guard a guy like Joel Embiid? But you. Uh, you know, I, I really like the the things he brings to the table on both ends of the floor. And, you know, I think if you're the Kings, you could obviously use a guy like that um, mm-hmm. who's shown us that he has the ability, you know, to be a rim protector and a switch defender.
0: Yeah, that's what I liked about him, his ability to switch. Um, okay, so 13th pick, uh, Pelton went to the Pelicans. They drafted Kyra Lewis, uh, who just has struggled at times getting playing time. Um the uh, the front office in New Orleans has actually tried to trade out some of the guards to try to give him playing time. I think they want him to play more in the future. Um, but where would you go if you were the Pelicans, number 13 in our draft?
1: Yeah, I think this is the right range for Kyra Lewis. You know, he would go in a similar spot. I, I think if I'm the, running the Pelicans, though, I maybe go in a slightly different direction because when they made this pick, they didn't know how much Zion Williamson was going to be no handling kidding. the ball. That's right. Yeah, it was a, a development over the course of this season. And I think given that and the way that Zion has played his, uh, in his second year here, your number one focus has to be how do we get as much shooty as possible Agreed. around Zion at all times? So they're 23rd and three-point percentage at 35%. So pretty clearly that guy at this point in the draft then is Desmond Bain, who has come in and is hitting 44% Ooh, of his threes. Guy. Yeah, was the uh,
0: uh, 30th
1: the very final pick of the first round on draft night. Uh, someone who doesn't necessarily feel a huge need for them because they do have some guys on the wings with Josh Hart and Nikhil Alexander-Walker uh, long-term. But, you know, he's got the ability, I think, to defend multiple positions because he's so strong for his size, even though he's only six five. And, you know, again, just a knockdown three-point shooter, which is what New Orleans
0: percent, needs. 44% uh, classic 3&D player in today's NBA. Yeah. Uh, a very good pick by Memphis, which is continually happened um, in the last few years Memphis is you know hit one after the other really solid picks especially uh, mid lottery and later um, okay so Schmidt's 14th pick last pick of uh, the lottery uh, it was the Celtics uh, on draft night um, a pick that they got from Memphis. Uh that was unprotect was it unprotected or was it uh top protect- anyway uh for years, I thought this might be a really good pick ended up being the fourteenth pick. They took Aaron niesmith, who has not played that much although he just had uh, one of his best games of the season um What would you do with number fourteen? At the Celtics,
2: yeah, I'm tempted to go with Leandro Bolmaro, um, but I don't want to bore you guys with the the six seven draft and stash Argentinian who's killing it for for Barcelona. So I'm going to go with Jaden McDaniels at um, a University of Washington. This is a kid that we had projected as the number one pick uh, for for a brief amount of time before. You know, he had kind of a down freshman season at Washington alongside Isaiah Stewart. But I think he's had some really, really bright moments, you know, so far this season for Minnesota. When you look at a guy who's 6'10", who can defend multiple positions, believe he's shooting over 35% from three so far, he can handle the ball a little bit. Uh, I remember just being blown away, you know, watching him in the the pre-draft process, just how how naturally talented he is. Um, He has great shot blocking instincts for a wing as well. And we've seen him kind of sliding with point guards, guarding wings for stretches and still has some areas to improve. I mean, physically he's still very lean as well, but you know, anytime you can get a guy with the ability to guard multiple positions and make it open three, especially alongside Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Um, I think you have to take a look, long look at long, hard look at that guy and, and McDaniels fits that profile.
0: His brother, his brother Jalen McDaniels, who's a rookie, is he a rookie or second year player for the Hornets? Second year. year, year He's gotten some playing time recently and has played well as well. Well, real quick, now that you hinted about Bo Marlowe, who I. Believe uh, the uh, Timberwolves have his rights, and he plays for for Barcelona. W- what do you know about you? You're saying he should go higher in our redraft.
2: Yeah, 100. I I thought he was the second best international prospect behind Avdia. It's
0: a small. He's a small forward.
2: Uh, he's small forward size almost, but he plays a lot as a point guard. Honestly, I think he's a guy oh, who really? can okay. who can play kind of with or without the ball. You know, the question for him was always the shooting, and he's shooting like over 40 percent from three. You know, this year playing a real role for Barcelona. Just had a career high in an ACB game the other day and plays with this like unbelievable energy. Like he'll pick you up 94 feet. He's flying all around the floor. He's a typical Argentinian style, like fighter, you know? And so, um, you know, whether they bring him over next year or, or in two years, I think he's going to be an impact guy and a potential NBA starter, honestly, for, for a long time.
0: Okay. Well, so that's our, that's our lottery. So, um, um, Obi Toppin slid totally out. Um uh Killian Hayes slid totally out. Um uh I think those are the only two that uh did their Jalen sp- Smith and Jalen
1: Smith.
0: Oh that's right. That's right. Oh Jalen Smith, that's right, yeah. Um so yeah, um pretty you know, all in all, I think um not a bad uh not a bad draft, especially when you look at some of the other guys we did mention. I think Cole Anthony has been good and looks like he's um uh, got you know you know got a good future, um, you know Poku in uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, we'll see what he turns into. He's gotten a lot of playing time recently, so uh, we'll see. But before we go, I wanted to get your guys' opinion real quick just on the top names um, in the upcoming draft. I don't want to steal any of your thunder when you come out with your mock drafts. Uh, but um, uh, I think the, the 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 big names are are kind of well known even to uh to casuals at this point but um schmidt's um you know what are you looking forward to in this draft process coming up what should we know about these guys
2: yeah i think you should know that there's a really strong top five um you know i, I think teams kind of you'll you'll hear the phrase the draft starts at six a ton you know because i mm-hmm. think teams feel really good about this core top so five. so
0: and give us those five so Cade cunningham yeah, and so,
2: Yep. I think Cade Cunningham is the prize of the draft. I think he's the heavy favorite to go number one, um, you know, kind of six, eight, do a little bit of everything type of guy. I think you can put the ball in his hands, um, you know, sim- not to say he's Luka Doncic, but he, like he can he can play kind of as a big guard um in, in that sense. You know, Evan Mobley, I think, would be a number one pick. In pretty much every draft, I think he would have been the number one pick in last year's draft. He's your prototypical modern big, you know, seven feet tall, switchable, block shots, handles the ball, can shoot, pass. Does a little bit of everything. Um, you know, Suggs is kind of that tough-minded defender who's electric in the open court. Um, you know, he, you'll hear comparisons everywhere from Drew Holiday to Jason Kidd. You know, and he, there's there's a he's an instant impact guy. I mean, he's going to start a lot of games. I think he's going to be an all-star in the future. And then you know, the last two are the G League guys, um, Jalen Green, who I think some would argue has a number one type of talent. I think like huge, big-time athlete, Ooh. big-time athlete. I mean, s- smooth as hell head at the rim type of guy I think like kind of Zach Levine you know with him um, a guy who can really score it at all three levels and then Jonathan Kaminga is kind of the the x factor a little bit in, in this draft just because you know teams probably haven't seen him quite as much as Suggs or Mobley or Cunningham or Green at least prior, prior to the bubble um, but I mean he's that prototype Wing six eight seven one wing wingspan, amazing body kind of in that Jalen Brown mold so uh, you know some some scouts will say that this draft has five number one picks I mean it's it's seen as yeah. one of the better drafts we've seen in recent memory
1: Pelton. And I think one of the reasons for that is usually you'll see some pretty big discrepancies between the guys that come out the best in the statistical projections that I do. And then, you know, the players who are at the top of our our top 100 and, you know, that kind of gets synthesized into the final projections that I do. This year, I think there's a lot more overlap. There's three guys, you know, in this top five group are also in the top 10 in my stats only projections, the the two G League players, and then Jalen Suggs as well. And, And that's the group that traditionally, if you're top 10 in both the stats only and then go top ten in the draft or top ten in our rankings, those guys are going to be locks. And Kid Cunningham wasn't quite as productive statistically at Oklahoma State, but you know, certainly not bad in that regard. And then Mobley just gets penalized by the fact that he's a center. Uh, you know, that that tends to to drop players pretty substantially in my projections. But again, for a center, as Mike has said, I think, you know, as strong a prospect as you're going to come by. But I, I do think it's going to be interesting because one question about drafting centers now is because it's more difficult to pair those players than it is perimeter players. Like if golden state ends up with the number two pick in this year's draft after taking Wiseman last year, do they end up regretting taking Wiseman because they think Mobley is the stronger prospect, but they can't play those two guys together. I think that's an interesting question. And also maybe well, the something first, you have to the think first about
0: center in our draft. We just did went 10th.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, not, not entirely coincidentally.
0: Yeah. Um, how do you, uh, how do your stat, I mean, you know, your, your stats database, I mean, now we have this new level of, um, this new data point, which is the, the, the Ignite, the G League team, playing against um, different type of competition. You know, I, we still don't exactly know how that's going to work out. I don't know how to project that.
1: Right. It's not a proof of concept yet. But the nice thing is that there are established. I've been doing translations of G League performance to the NBA for well over a decade here. So there's that nice track record to draw on. And uh, you sort of get a, a useful comparison because it's not like somebody from Gonzaga ever plays in the NBA that season other than the one time... The Kentucky Center ended up playing for the Knicks like a week after he got uh, knocked out of the NCAA tournament because he had been undrafted and gone back to college. But we get to see all these guys who were down in the G League bubble also playing in the NBA and compare how their stats translate. And that gives us a pretty good bedrock for what we can expect from uh, Green and Kaminga, which is pretty solid. Green was, you know, one of the better players in the league uh, as, you know, an 18 year old.
0: All right, well, thanks, guys. I enjoyed it as always. Thank you to Schmitz and uh, Pelton. And uh, Schmitz, you're getting revved up for another draft season, and uh, Pelton never sleeps. (laughs) Uh, Thanks for listening to the Hoop Collective. We'll talk to you uh, later this week. Thank you to Tony, our producer. Everybody have a good week.